0: Okay. Thank you. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Pradeep Goel. I'm the CEO of SolveCare. I had a really big deck that I wanted to share with you all. But on the way here, I scrapped it. I decided I'm not going to show you another deck. You've seen enough decks today. You'll see a lot more for the rest of the day. I want to actually talk about something more fundamental. Talk about somebody called the patient, somebody called the doctor, and something called our right and choices. Um, We are of course a technology company. I work in healthcare for 30 plus years, and recently I started working in something called blockchain, the dreaded B word, and have learned a lot from that process, and actually found some really good use cases that can help us, but before we do that, something really important happened today. I was in the car here from Fort Lauderdale, where I live, and I saw on LinkedIn a news that my son's uh, pediatrician uh, in Ukraine was killed last night by a missile while she was driving to work, and I started to think about all the technology, and government policy, and public health programs I've been part of, and in the end, it boils down to human beings and their ability to do their job. So I, you know, I've learned a lot about healthcare, and like to forget a lot of what I've learned over the last 30 years and start again, but fundamentally. When I hear everybody talk about in various conferences about how healthcare is moving digital, and I buy that healthcare is going digital, and I understand that we have to improve population health, remote patient monitoring, continuous care management, chronic disease, hospital at home, and we are part of all those initiatives in various forms. But in the end, what about the doctor? So I thought, okay, no more decks today. Let's talk about the doc, and let's talk about the patient. Now. Why are we building all these healthcare systems? You know, we are, we are investing in this enormous amount of technology. I've personally overseen, I don't know, five, seven billion dollars of I.T. investment in my career, and I can tell you that I cannot point point 0.1 percent ROI from it. I don't think that there has been a system that I have built over the last 30 years that ever met its objective. was in member management, eligibility, Medicaid expansion, the uh, health ex- insurance exchanges care management, disease management, case management, you n- name it, I built it. But I don't think that I'd do it again. Because the problem is that we build systems and then we invite people to participate. And you know what? They don't want to participate for various reasons. It's inconvenient, it in- requires me to learn new skills, it doesn't let me do my job better, and on and on and on, right? Now, we can explain that all the way to the patient is just not smart enough, the doctor is just not flexible enough, you know, or the technology is not good enough. Is there something fundamentally wrong? And that is the way we think about IT, the way we think about automating. Let's build one more silo, be the Hopkins silo or the Mayo silo or the Blue Cross silo, which I built plenty of, um, or the the um, the Medicare silo or the Medicaid silo. Let's build one more, and then let's talk about interoperability, and let's spend another billion trillion dollars on trying to connect them and then bemoan the fact that they don't connect, and then say, well, you know, our healthcare is screwed up. Now, this physician that was killed in Ukraine last night, my son went to her last year when we were living in Ukraine before the war. And she didn't have an EMR. She had a basic EMR, nothing fancy. And what she brought to the table was a willingness to sit and talk to the patient. And my son remembers her to this day. That doctor was really nice. She talked to me. She sat down eye to eye and talked to me about what I needed. Now, she may have been a great physician or may not a great physician, but she had the most impact on my son's life that any other doctor has ever had. And he's had the access to the best of best healthcare, right? So what is wrong with our picture here? And what can technology actually do? So, I would just want to talk about three things today. The patient, the doctor, and our choices. Let's not build more silos. Telehealth is a real opportunity. COVID is moving us to digital health. We all see it. It's a juggernaut, it's it's a paradigm shift. Whatever your favorite description is, healthcare is going digital. And perhaps that's a good thing. The jury is out on that. But what is really good is if we don't allow telehealth to become institutionalized silos again. If we don't say in the name of efficiency, hey, I have a better silo than yours, I have a better network than yours, I have a better institutional controls than yours, so you come to my network. The moment we do that, we take away choice. The moment we do that, we take away options, and we turn the physician into a statistic, even worse than the patient being a statistic. So what can technology actually do? Let's do something very fundamental. Let's give the physician an identity. Let's give each physician the ability to participate in any healthcare ecosystem that they want without sacrificing their financial or physical stability. How about we just start there? How about we just give the patient the right to connect to any physician they want to talk to? And let's r- remove people like me in the middle, building narrow networks and defining who can participate in what network. And I built plenty of those as well. Right? And we built them because we were going to do good to our population. My insured population would be served better by my choice of doctors. It didn't really work out that way. But sure, we've had those networks exist now for 30-plus years, and we try to manage them. We give you rate controls. We put in provider contracts. We put in electronic medical record, patient-centered medical homes, and on and on and on but all what I can conceive of as a CIO that you as a doc or you as a patient have to follow or adopt. That's the problem. So now, Tori asked me to come here and talk about blockchain and what blockchain can do. Really, it's not about the technology, but what blockchain can do or many other technologies should do is to give people the ability to connect without me governing who connects with whom. If we can just open up access we will improve healthcare. And now, when you talk about telehealth, it scares me. It scares me that we're going to build another huge number of narrow networks, be it the Mayo telehealth solution, or the Hopkins solution, or the Blue Cross solution, or the uh, or the Medicare solution, or the VA solution. And we're going to build just replicate the same narrow, barrier-oriented healthcare in the l- digital world, and say, well, it didn't really help that much. I won't if you don't improve access, if you don't improve choices. So, blockchain is a technology that I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about. It's a technology, guys. It's not panacea. It's not, you know, it's not the nectar of the gods. It's just another technology, but it has certain advantages that you can consider as you build new telehealth solutions, and that is autonomy and independence. So, blockchain is kind of like having an idea of your own web address, right? Imagine that you have an identity, and that identity is solely yours, and people can talk to your identity. They can send you bills. They can get prescriptions from that location. They can interact with you like you exist on the web. But it's your own website, and you control it and how it works. And that identity represents you as a human being first, and then as a professional second. So then you. By checking your identity, people know what credentials the doctor has, where they're allowed to practice, what hours they work, and what rate they want to charge. Fantastic concept. I could just talk to my doc without having Blue Cross tell me that he's in network or out of network. And I could choose to pay the rate that I need to pay. And Blue Cross could subsidize it. So the long and short of it is that as we build new telehealth solutions. Our first and foremost responsibility is to build it around the dock. The second responsibility is to make it accessible to every patient, not to some patient that we happen to have economic relationship with. And third is to monitor and manage that interaction in a way that protects both. And that's our job. That's the fundamentals of telehealth. Then we can talk about remote patient monitoring, continuous care management, acute and subacute care, and hospital at home. And I'll give you a very clear anecdote of what I'm talking about. We are building a hospital right now in the west of Ukraine, actually, restoring one that was destroyed. And this regional hospital serves a population of about 4 million people, except it doesn't exist anymore. So we decided to rebuild it. Just a crazy idea that healthcare needs to be available to everyone. So we decided to build this hospital. There are no docs. We can't find them. They have either emigrated or, or have gone to the front line. So there are no docs in the region. There are no nurses in the region. Very, very few. So we went to Korea and convinced a hospital in Korea to offer telehealth to, these, to this huge, vast, unserved population that previously had real, relatively good healthcare. And the number one problem that Korean doctors had was, they said, we don't want our identity to be revealed. We don't want the patient to know the name of the doc or the photo of the doc, because we don't want a certain country to mark me as a target. So we had to build a system where the only thing known between the patient and the doctor is a 64-digit hash code that nobody can read. No human being with with a sane mind could read or memorize. But that hash code identifies a doctor. And it guarantees that this doc is actually an oncologist or a pediatrician or whoever. And you can actually interact with that address and send payments, receive prescriptions, get diagnoses, even get referrals. As long as that identity is protected. That was a condition for the doc saying, look, I'm going to be willing to provide healthcare to a vulnerable population, but you've got to protect me first. Patients, equally interesting, they don't want their identity on the system either. They're afraid of being targeted as well. So same thing applies for the patient. The patient can choose to share as much information as they want or as little as they want. It is not a condition to getting health care. You don't need to tell me then your dog's name for me to diagnose your kid with flu or fever. So this is the promise of technology that underpins the digital health revolution And blockchain isn't the only answer. There are many other ways to do it. It's just one convenient way to do it. But I'm not here to talk blockchain. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about patients and doctors. I want to talk about the fact that I have built plenty of silos over the last 35 years, many of which you use and many of which you hate. You, the doctor, and you, the patient. And I'm asking you to think about not building more. And the way you don't build silos is you do not put the identity in the control of the network that you want to deliver to the patient. The moment you have centralized control over a network where you decide who, who enters and who leaves and who they are, you are now playing guard with people's health. Instead, learn to use other people's identity. I invite you to join my network in Korea, but it's your choice, and you don't need to tell me everything about you. You only need to tell me what you need to tell me to participate in the network. So that is the promise of some of the more emerging cryptographic-based technologies out there. The last thing is interoperability. The last thing we want to do is to build another preferred provider network by Blue Cross, which does not work with any other preferred provider network of United or Humana or Retina or Cigna. The last thing we want to do is to build another EMR silo which, while interoperable, doesn't really interoperate. Come on, guys, let's be serious. How many of these EMRs actually talk to each other, even if they are from the same vendor? It requires a federal mandate to have an API just to get the vendor to export the data. Really? It takes a federal mandate for us to be able to export a patient's data out of an EMR? Why? Why is the data even in your hands as an EMR company? Why is it that I every patient in the room doesn't have com- full control over their data? Now, it flies in the face of many of the established economic models we have. And I have benefited from these models handsomely for the last 30 years, which is why I stand up here and have the audacity to talk to you. But really, end of the day, if you're going to learn one lesson from the last 50 years of healthcare journey and our our efforts to automate and improve healthcare in the United States and around the world, it boils down to do not build more silos. Do not build systems and invite doctors and patients to join, build it around them. A doctor is a system. He doesn't need to be another system. A physician is a fully functioning medical system. All you have to do is to connect him to the right networks where he can deliver his services on his own choice on the day and time he wants to work or she wants to work and at the rate that she wants to charge. What a concept. But that's where digital health and telehealth brings us. So final point, we are working on a global telehealth framework where any physician in the world can join. And any patient in the world can access any physician in the world on that network. Now, that sounds like yet another network controlled by just Facebook on steroids, right? Wrong. Because we don't control that network. We push that, as the network grows, we push it out. Meaning it goes on its own set of global set of nodes that no one runs. So there is no Mark Zuckerberg type guy sitting on the top saying, Well, I don't like you. I'm going to bump you off the network. Can't do that. So the idea of open health is a real promise of telehealth the idea that we can actually build healthcare around the patient and the physician is perhaps the best use case of blockchain yes it brings a lot of other things for you security privacy encryption online consent legal admissibility replayability you can go back and replay the ledger to see what happened did we miss the appropriate amount of preventative care did we do enough intervention on time yes you can learn from it but in the end First, you gotta get people to participate, and they'll only participate if they trust, then only trust if they control. So end of the day, the, the objective here, and I work with a lot of different telehealth initiatives, both institutional and individual providers and pharmaceutical and government, and I always say the same thing to them as I'll tell you today. Prevent or resist the temptation of building another silo. No matter what your economic or clinical justification is more silos do not serve the patient and they most certainly do not serve the physician that's your challenge that's your opportunity and I hope that in five years we'll stand here and go what a more open digital health world we have built or 10 years or 50 years however long it takes guys it's worth the journey because you know what our kids deserve it thank you everyone